Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Good to be in God's house this morning. If you're thankful to be in the house of the Lord with your brothers and sisters in Christ, can we lift his name one more time together? Amen. Ricky spoke through the lyrics of a lot of that last song, one of the ones that was just standing out to me that I just felt on my heart for some of you this morning. It says that he takes shame and turns it into glory. Man, what a transformation. And uh, I know that there's probably a few of you in this room that you probably don't have to sit and think very long to yourself at all before you start thinking about your sin and you start thinking about your mistakes and your shame. And I, I know that, that in the middle of that, you can allow yourself to start believing the lies of the devil that that shame is way more heavy and way more powerful than the cross but that is a lie from the pit of hell. And not only will he take your shame like he did, like we celebrated last weekend, he will take his, your shame upon himself, but he will do more than just take it. He will turn it into his glory. And there is nothing like that. And I just know there might be a couple of you in this morning. Today's the day that it's time to throw off the shame and, and put on his glory and put on his righteousness. Amen? Well, uh, man, last week had a great week. Uh, Easter weekend, Good Friday service, all of that went really, really well. Uh, I heard yesterday we had just over 30,000 people across all of our campuses across the state uh, attend Easter services, which that's awesome. Uh, but hundreds and hundreds of people made decisions for Jesus. And here, just here at our campus alone, we had 46 people raise their hand to give their life to Jesus. Come on, let's praise the Lord for that. And uh, we also have a bunch of people that are going public with their faith by getting water baptized today. And uh, that's just people telling the world, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm proud of them. We might have some visitors in the house because you're here to, to watch somebody get baptized and we're, we're really glad that you're here. If you don't have a home church, we'd love to have you here. If you have a home church, you need to be all in. No more playing games. Get in the game. Serve, lead, be connected. Uh, sometimes people say, you know what, I wanted to come to your church. Your church is way too big. And when I hear that, I want to think, like, what's too big? Like, there's, like, too many youth getting connected to Jesus, too many marriages getting restored, like, too much. Like, what, what, what's too big? Uh, and here's the reality, though. Any church is too big if you're not getting connected to that church outside of a service. Every church is too big if you don't have what it means to be connected to the body of Christ. You can have a church of 46 people, but if all you're doing is going to church service together and you're not doing anything outside of those four walls to build relationship with each other, to build relationship with Jesus and let the manifestation of that impact the people around you, I'm sorry, but that church is too big for themselves. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's getting outside of the four walls and we're not just saying it, we're living it in Jesus' name. I'm thankful for that. So I want you to turn your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, Bible apps, I'd encourage you every once in a while, they still actually print these and make these. And uh, 
it might be good. You know, we're as a as our our life group, we're going through a book called the Purple Book, and it's basically just a discipleship study. And in it, though, there's a lot of scripture that asks you to reference to, to write down answers to questions and stuff like that. And so it's been good because it takes me back to my my Bible quiz days. You know, where how many of y'all anybody ever do Bible quiz? Y'all do, raise your hand, don't be ashamed in God's house that you did Bible quiz, okay? But basically, like, they give you, one of the parts about Bible quiz, is a lot of it's like reciting scripture and stuff, but sometimes they give you a verse in the Bible, and the first one they would find it, and they get it open, you know, they'd win that point, and you couldn't use the tabs. Some of y'all cheaters, you got the Bible tabs on the books of the Bible, but, but I think it's really important that from time to time, you get to feel the Bible. You get to feel those pages. Uh, you need to learn where the books of the Bible are. It, it, it's become a little too easy. I'm thankful for technology. Uh, I, if you don't know, Life Church is the church that developed the YouVersion Bible app. I, can you believe the impact that that church has made through that app? I'm so thankful, man. The, the hundreds of languages that the Bible has been translated into because of the obedience of that church, I'm thankful for it. But I think it's important that every once in a while we go back and remember, I'm glad we don't have to go back to like scrolls. That would be kind of weird, you know, like, hey, y'all, don't forget your scrolls next weekend. Uh, or stone, you know, I'm thankful. <laughs> stone tablets. Some of, y'all, some of y'all would like that. Some of y'all like weightlifters, like, yeah, that sounds awesome. How heavy are they? Let's do that. Uh, but I digress. Ephesians chapter one, that's where we're gonna be today. I've shared a little bit of my story growing up. Uh, my dad was a big history buff. Pretty much my whole life, even before I was born, he loved history. Uh, back in the, the, the 70s, my mom and dad, they would go, go to rendezvous. How many of y'all ever heard of a rendezvous? Uh, basically, it's, they're, they're hippies, essentially, but they're like hippies that do like living history, okay? So they like, you know, dress up in buckskins and stuff like that and, and go and, and reenact. I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's like Halloween, but not at Halloween. It's at other times. And, and, uh, but uh, my dad was in an auto pedestrian accident when I was very young. And after that, one of the only things he could do without too much significant pain was ride horses. And my dad loved being out in the high country. He loved being in the mountains. He loved being out in God's creation. And so, uh, he used to be a prolific hiker before he was in his accident. After that, one of the only ways he could get up there was horseback. And so I grew up around that culture. I started riding horses when I was very, very young. Um, four years old, five years old, I broke my first horse when I was five years old. That was a story in and of itself. But I uh, wasn't a cowboy, okay? So I just wanna, I wanna clear that up if there's any cowboys in the room. Like, I'm never gonna say I'm a cowboy. I certainly am not a goat roper either though, okay? I had friends that were cowboys and I'd help them cowboy every once in a while, but I was a wrangler. So basically we would put pack saddles on mules and we'd go up into the wilderness and do pack trips with men's group and uh, men's and sons groups and stuff like that. And so I spent a lot of time around that. And, uh, and I appreciate that, you know, I appreciate the hard work that it takes. I appreciate, you know, when you're, you're going up into the high country on horseback, you, you get back in the middle of places that people don't go. And, and I love being back there because it just brings you back to the simplicity of God's creation and it makes you realize just how small you are, uh, which makes you thankful that he still loves you. And, but I grew up around that. And, and in a lot of ways, my dad, he would tell you he was born in the wrong century. Uh, and if you, if you saw him, I should have gotten a picture off Facebook. He, uh, he's on Facebook. He's still learning how to use Facebook, but he's on Facebook. 
And, uh, and so there's a couple of pictures of him on there. But if you even met him, like um, if he was at church right now, you'd think, man, that guy looks like a frontiersman. He looks like he was born in the wrong century. He looks like he just walked off of, of the, the shooting of 1883. You know, that, that my dad dresses like that pretty much all the time. That's just, he loves that. And, and so, uh, and he still lives that way in a lot of ways. Like he went camping with me a few years ago and it was in the middle of winter. And I was taking a group of students up to go camping. And my dad's like, I wanna go with you. I'm like, okay, well, it's gonna be cold. It's winter. He's like, yeah, that's cool. I, w- I wanna use some, some new gear I got. And I'm like, okay, I didn't, you got new gear? Okay, that's cool. And, and so uh, it's winter time. So I've got like a really nice sleeping bag, like everything you'd need is, my dad shows up with a, a bedroll with two wool blankets and some flint and steel. I'm like, I hope I don't have to save your life. Like this is gonna, but he just loves that. Okay, this, this will give you a picture of who my dad is. He has a flip phone that does not have text service. Okay, like that, that, that's, that's where my dad is living. Like some of y'all, some of you are rednecks and this last week when we were doing relief work, y'all showed up with a bunch of chainsaws and heavy machinery and everything. My dad would show up with an ax. Like that's who my dad was. Like, like okay, he's like, I'm, the, uh, the old ways are still the good ways, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so as a result of, of being around history and everything, we always wrote, uh, watched like every historical movie you could ever imagine. We never had TV, we watched movies. So every Western, every historical movie, uh, my dad uh, loves American history. He probably knows more about American history than anybody I've ever met, including any professor that I ever had. And, uh, but so we watched a lot of those good Westerns. How many of y'all watch some good old Westerns, okay? And I'm not necessarily talking about the TV shows, but I'm talking about like, you know, like Lonesome Dove. If you ever got six hours, you wanna, you know, use that of your life, go watch Lonesome Dove. Or, or I even love some of the old classics. Like I love the original Cowboys movie with John Wayne, okay? I love that movie. Uh, Cody and I got to watch, uh, we got VidAngel, which I didn't mention this last service, but VidAngel is a cool little online thing that allows you to filter junk out of shows and movies. And so I say all that to say, we got to watch 1883 because from what I've heard, that's really one of the only ways you can watch 1883 is with filters. But, uh, but we got to watch that and we loved that show. We thought that was great. You know, anything with Tim McGraw and Faith Hill and it's like, okay, that's probably gonna be pretty solid. But the thing I love about all those movies is the pioneer spirit. I love how there was these people that just said, you know what, I'm not satisfied, I'm not settled, I'm not okay, I want to go and I'm gonna give up everything and I wanna go find something new. And I'm willing to, to, to sacrifice anything to go and find that. And that spirit of leaving everything behind and pursuing something new, I think that that is a seed that Jesus has planted into every single believer. That pioneer spirit. Because I think it's the exact spirit that Jesus had. It says in Hebrews 12, one through two, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Right there, that word, pioneer. What that means is Jesus blazed the trail for us to follow him. And he's still blazing a trail today and he wants us to be right on his heels. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is a verse that I, I quote over people a lot of times when they're getting water baptized because it's a great symbol of that. But there is something new, a new life for you to grab a hold of. And it's nothing like the life 
that you've been living or that you used to live. Unfortunately, so many believers or even people that call themselves Christians, they never see their faith this way. They see their faith as a positive add-on to their life. I just wanna tell you, Jesus is not an add-on. He wants you to understand that you've got a new life to live. In a lot of ways, it's like a new trail that he wants you to ride. I think once you get saved, there's three types of attitudes that can take hold of you. The first one is this, the museum keeper. These are people that love to keep track of the past. Every museum has a curator and their job basically is to keep up to date with the past and keep the past in order. They live on the memories of the past. Well, I love history and not just because my dad was a big historian. I love history just because it helps me understand who I am, where we are. I think one of the greatest travesties in our culture today is the denigration of our history and how it gets changed and rewritten all the time. Like that, that, that's very dangerous for a culture. I love history, but your walk with God was never meant to collect dust like history collects dust. Your walk with God was meant to kick up dust. In fact, in the Greek, the word serve means to kick up dust. That's what it means. And I would say this, that if your greatest stories about being used by God are collecting dust, it's time to move forward into something new. If the greatest times, the greatest testimony, the greatest parts of your walk with God are in the past and collecting dust, it's time to move now. Because if you don't, six months turns into three years, turns into five years, turns into 15 years real fast. And our God is a God of right now. And he wants to move through your life right now. I love stories about David. David, more than likely, most theologians believe God started using him between the ages of 14 and 17. But you know what I like just as much as that? I love stories like about Caleb and Joshua, who even in their 80s, they were saying, put me in the hill country where the giants are, I'll take them on. I love that. I think that's the way that God would call us to live. They refuse to be museum keepers. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. This isn't saying all the good things or bad things. It's just saying everything. It's saying, I'm gonna move forward. Forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for God, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Okay, another mindset that could take hold of you is the settlers. And as the name suggests, these are just people who settle. They find their comfort zone and they start trying to build a life on a comfort zone. On the Oregon Trail, which by the way, was not just a video game. There was a physical Oregon Trail, but how many of y'all remember the video game, okay? How many of y'all played it on a DOS computer, okay? Where that, that buffalo coming across the screen didn't really look that natural, okay? Well, you learn playing that game that people didn't make it all the way to Oregon for a lot of different reasons, right? Scurvy and different things like that. But there is a physical, actual Oregon Trail and it is riddled with the evidence of people who just settled. You start driving west. You get into parts of Oklahoma, you get into parts of Kansas. I don't know about you, sometimes I've driven through places like that and there's towns that you'll blink, if you blink, you'll miss it. Like they don't even have, they don't even have a stop sign. 
And I, sometimes I think to myself, whatever possessed somebody to want to stop and live here? Well, so many of those little communities, they were established by people that got on the Oregon Trail and wanted to head west, but at one point or another just said, this is good enough. This is good enough. This is just too hard. And I under, look, none of us understand what it was like. You know, like, like we have a hard time driving six hours in vehicles, much less a couple thousand miles on a wagon, okay? Like we have no concept of difficulty and trial and hardship and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is they settled. But it's called the Oregon Trail. Not the Kansas Trail. Not the Oklahoma Trail. Not the Eastern Colorado Trail. The Oregon Trail. They settled. In the Bible, Abraham's family, you can see that this got on his dad. The spirit of settling. In Genesis eleven thirty one, 31, it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Canaan eventually would be Israel. Canaan would be the promised land. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. How did a guy tell one of our pastors, I believe in the whole Bible, including the maps. Well, in the back of some of your Bibles, not all of them, but in the back of some of your Bibles, there's maps. And when, sometimes there's a map in there of Abraham's journey, of his life. Well, when you look at that, you realize that Haran is about halfway there. His father set out to go to Canaan, but settled in Haran. And one of the reasons why that was is because he was dealing with some emotional pain that he never dealt with. But also because Haran was comfortable. Haran was kind of like a vacation spot of the Middle East. Okay, it was like Destin, Florida for all you salt life people living that salt life, living your best salt life here in central Arkansas. So he stopped halfway. And people that have that spirit and let it get a hold of them, settlers find a comfort zone even with God and they settle in. And they say things like this, well, I'm a whole lot further than where I used to be. Or it's not all that God has for me, but it's way better than what it used to be. And that is an incredibly dangerous place because in that place, dreams get put on the shelf. This is where you lose passion. And worst of all, eventually your convictions begin to get watered down and you change even biblical truth to suit your comfort. Honestly, all of us can find ourselves in a season where we can be tempted to fall into settling. It's happened to me in a few different seasons. Actually, right before God called us to move here to Cabot, I was starting to fall into one of those seasons. We were leading a, a school. It was going great. It was growing. We were branching into multiple campuses. I was getting calls from churches to help consult to start schools at those. And I, I was very comfortable. And right around that time, they're like, hey, we want you to start helping pastor at the Greater Little Rock campus. So we bought a lot of land down in Maumelle. We started putting house plans together. We had all this stuff going on. 
and everything looked so good on paper. And God came along and just tore that paper right up and said, no, <laughs> you silly big boy. You're going to Cabot. Uh, and Cabot was not as comfortable because we stepped into a tough situation with the church at that time. There was, we love Cabot. Now, we first came, we were like, what is going on? I'm just telling you, a lot has changed even in 11 years, all right? A lot has changed. We first got here, we drove past something, and we we're like, okay, hold on. Is that a gas station, a bank, or a Mexican food restaurant? And the answer was yes. <laughs> and a lot has changed. 46 more Mexican food restaurants have opened up since then. <laughs> The point is, I was settling. I was starting to settle and God shook it up and I'm so thankful for his grace and mercy. My prayer over you is that he would shake up your life. I pray that he would make you so uncomfortable. You can get mad at me all you want, but I'm just praying it. Some of, some of you, I'm calling your name out specifically and saying, oh, just mess up their plans so bad, God. Make them miserable and uncomfortable in their plans so that they can see your plan so they can find life and life to the full. Don't settle, don't settle. And then there's pioneers. Paul said in the verse we read, I press on, that's a pioneer, press on. The best days are not behind them. They're not living in a rut. They haven't settled into a comfort zone. Pioneers are constantly pressing towards the things that God has for them in their life. They have a dream that is like gasoline in their soul. But pioneers also understand in order for them to go forward, they gotta discard some junk sometimes. And archeologists along the Oregon Trail still find to this day, these family heirlooms like pianos and chest of drawers and things like that, where people are trying to bring all this junk, this big stuff with them to try to go and settle. And they would eventually just have to throw it off. They'd have to throw it off. They just realize this is, if we're going to accomplish our goal, if we're gonna get there, we're gonna have to lighten the load. And that is a word of God for some of you. You're carrying way too much and you're carrying stuff that God never designed you or intended for you to carry. And until you throw that junk off, you cannot reach what God has got before you. He's got some stuff for you, but you're gonna have to throw it off. And some of it is that shame that he needs to turn into glory. But some of it is pride and arrogance. And one of the things in that song, I love when it says, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. Why? Because in your weakness, God's power is made perfect. You think that you're holding on to what you need to hold on to make you strong. But the fact of the matter is when you're in that place, you are weaker than you've ever been. The strongest place that you will ever be is when you are weak before a creator God who loves you, called you, created you, and destined you to do great things for his kingdom. When you get weak there, you get humble. You start confessing your weakness. That'll be the strongest place that you've ever been in your life. I had a man of influence come up to me after this, the first service. He's a leader. You know who he was if I said who he was. And he said, the Lord's been stirring in me that I got, I got saved a while ago, but I was raised in, in a religion that I really never had a personal relationship with Jesus. And God has been convicting me that I need to get water baptized. And, he, and yesterday he was really messing with me. And today I know that I needed to tell you. And the reason why I've hesitated telling you is because 
with what I do, there's a part of what I do that I always feel like I've got to kind of separate myself and make myself get set up or look like I'm set up to be a strong leader and a strong influencer and I can never present my weakness. I'm just telling you, if that's a place you're living in, you are believing a lie from the pit of hell. It is when you surrender, it's when you humble yourself, it's when you confess your weakness, you're gonna experience true power, true leadership, true influence in your life. That's a fact. So Paul gave this spiritual strategy that when we really walk through these steps, when we're really living what it means, what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, well, there's a lot to it, and I'm not gonna try to oversimplify it, but our main text in Ephesians 1.15, it says this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've never stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, so these, here's the things that, that Paul was praying over the believers in Ephesus. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. That is a never-ending process. You can always know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power in the same, is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So here's at least four things we do. We follow Jesus, first of all. But, G, but Paul said it like this in verse 17, so that you may know him better. So you may know him better. That word in the Greek is very similar to the Hebrew word to know. And it's the same know that you would have used for like when Adam knew Eve. It is a word that is used for intimacy. It is strong, personal relationship. And those getting baptized today, what they're doing, the reason why they're doing that is because they know that that's a step in truly following Jesus. And Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Everybody say everything. Everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Baptism is identifying with Jesus. He went under the earth, I go under the water. He was raised to new life, I'm raised to new life. One way you could say it is baptism is you putting a ring on it. It's you saying, I'm not ashamed of this. This is who I belong to. Imagine if when I married Cody, I told her, hey, listen, um, now that we're married, I just, it's important for you to know I'm kind of a private person. So let's keep this private. Like no rings in public, if you don't mind. Nothing needs to go public. Okay, well, understand that a private relationship like that is called a liaison. And Cody isn't a side chick. She grew up surviving Montana winters. She will cut you while singing Garth Brooks and doing a country two-step all at the same time. 
baptism is you telling the world my relationship with Jesus is public and my number one priority. I've left the world behind. I've turned my back on it and I'm following Jesus no matter what the cost. That is water baptism. And some of you are signed up to do that today and some of you are not signed up to do that today and you need to do it regardless. And here's the thing, we've tried to remove every natural hindrance. Well, I need a towel. We got towels. Well, I don't have clothes. We got clothes. I have a tendency to stink a little bit. We got some Axe body spray for you afterwards, which actually is a pretty poor substitute for deodorant. Some of you need to tell your eight, eighth grade boys that, okay? Like, like you just try to cover up that stank with Axe body wash or whatever else, and they don't help. Some of you, as soon as you can, and maybe even right now, you need to stand yourself up, walk yourself out to that foyer and say, hey, today's the day I'm gonna get baptized. And we'll have people out there to meet with you and get you squared away. Today needs to be the day. It's not what gets you saved, but it is what'll fortify your faith. And it's important that if you have called yourself a member of a local body of believers, that that whole body of believers know who you're gonna live for. And then you demonstrate that so that we can encourage you, but also hold you accountable. Another thing is we grow together. Psalm 92, 12. The, right, the righteous will flourish like palm trees. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Okay, here's the thing. Some of you, maybe even right now, but some of you in your past, You've been in a place just like, it's just me and God. I'm good, just me and God. I just want you to know that that is not biblical. Over and over and over and over again, the word talks about us being the body of Christ. We are many parts, one body. So it isn't ever meant to be just you and God. No, it's meant for you to be connected to the body of Christ doing things for God. That's the way he designed it from the get-go. And if the only way that you're gonna truly accomplish anything that I'm talking about today, you're gonna have to get outside of yourself, humble yourself and get connected to the body of Christ. That's who he created you, how he designed you to operate and to move. And then just because you say, no, I'm good, it doesn't mean you're not a part of the body of Christ. The Bible talks about that. You can say you're not a part of the body of Christ, you still are. The question is, are you gonna be a functioning, helpful arm or are you just gonna be dead weight that we're still dragging around? Either way, you're a part of the body of Christ. But we grow together. And this is what I believe. There are seeds that are planted in you from heaven from the moment you got saved. And when you get connected to God's house, to his people and under his word, those seeds will begin to produce. There's things that are in you that you don't even see, that you don't even know about, that are still in there lying dormant. There are levels to your life that you still need to climb. There are gears that you haven't even hit yet because it's beneath the surface. There's a place called Death Valley. It looks like this. This is Death Valley. Uh, Basically, nothing grows there, well, at least hardly ever, because there's no moisture. Rarely ever rains. But once every almost eight to 10 years, it seems like they get some rain. It happened in 98, it happened in 2006, it happened in 2016. It hasn't happened since 2016. In 2005, they got seven inches of rain in one night. And here's the phenomenon that happens after that. This is what it looks like. That's the same valley. They call it the Death Valley Bloom. Doesn't happen all the time, but what 
This proves is there's always seeds there, they're just dormant. There's always something there, it just needs to get water. And that is a word from the Lord for some of you. It's always been there, it's just beneath the surface. If you will get under the watering and refreshing of the word of God and connected to the body of Christ, it will produce life. You will see fruit grow in your life. And that's what fires me up as a pastor. I know that there are some things that are in you that are just beneath the surface that are not dead, they're just dormant. Another thing, we serve each other. On your notes, there is a wrong reference and it is my fault and I apologize. I could have just used it as a test to see if any of you noticed, but it is not Proverbs 29.11. It is Jeremiah 29.11. Because if you read Proverbs 29.11, which would have been the test, you would have been like, that's weird. That doesn't really connect with the sermon. But because I love you and I'm gracious, I didn't leave it as a test. I just told you it's my fault. It should have been Jeremiah. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. There are plans. God's got something in store for you. If we go back to our original text in verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There's a calling. You know what I've learned in life? Your life doesn't follow your physical eyes. Your life follows the eyes of your heart. Now, sometimes your spiritual eyes, the eyes of your heart will be dramatically influenced by your physical eyes. There's no doubt about that. It can send you down a road of destruction. But typically it is still gonna be your heart. In other words, what lights up your heart lights you up. And if you're going to understand the calling that God has for you, you're gonna to have to get around people that light you up. And you need to light up some people too. You need to make it your goal that you're, one of the things that you do outside of your personal devotion life with Jesus and, and that intimacy, that outside of that, you can't wait to serve somebody, to lift them up so that they can discover and see the very things that you've discovered and seen. That's who we should be as a church. That is the example that Christ gave us. He went low to lift people up. There were some scientists did an experiment and they took a monkey, they put him in a cage and at way up several feet in the air, at the top of this cage, they dangled a banana. And of course, once that monkey was in there, saw the banana, he would do everything he could to try to get to the top of the cage to get that banana. But every time that monkey would reach out and almost grab that banana, they would pour hot or cold water in the monkey's face and he'd scamper down. So they do that a few times. But typically after like the fourth or fifth time, that monkey would stop. He'd stop even trying to get the banana. So the further experiment was they took three monkeys that had all been through that same process. And they put them all in the cage together. And sure enough, they just sat in there. They just went in and sat down. But then they would take a monkey who hadn't been through the process at all and they put them in the cage with the rest of the monkeys. And as soon as that monkey that hadn't been through the process got in there, he tried to climb to get to the banana. And you know what the other monkeys did? They held him back and wouldn't let him go get the monkey. 
I think, unfortunately, that is a picture of what can happen so often around the body of Christ these days. Don't let your fear, don't let your insecurity, don't let your wounds, don't let your hurt, don't let your fear keep you from not only lifting other people up, but actually dragging them down away from the things that God has for them. My dream and God's dream is that we would be a church that would do everything within our means and power to lift people up, to accomplish every dream and everything that God has in store for someone's life. To help them, to lift them up, to get them to that place. That should be our dream. And the only way that that's gonna happen is you're gonna have to find groups of people that are wanting to do that with you. You need to get on a serve team. You need to get in a life group. You need to join an outreach team. You need to inspire people around you so we can go for God with everything we have. And the last thing is we live on mission. It's been said, and you've probably even heard me say something like this, the church is the hope of the world. And the truth is that's not really true. The church mobilized and on mission is the hope of the world because there can be a lot of churches out there that are not mobilized and they're not on mission and they are dead. There is no life there. But a church that is mobilized and on mission, what does that mean? It means that we are constantly thinking about our community and the needs of our area. We are praying for and supporting other churches. We are serving using our gifts and our talents and our resources. And we are inviting lost people all the time to come and be around the things of God. The truth is every one of you have some friends that need to be sitting with you by this time, October. You're called to do this. But you have to take personal responsibility to live on mission. You're in, you're in. Now it's time to get other people in. It's time to get other people in. The church is the only organization on earth that does not exist for those that are already part of that organization. If this offends you, you're gonna to wanna to find a different church. We don't exist for you. We love you, we're gonna disciple you, we're gonna help you grow. But at the end of the day, we're, we exist for the people that aren't here yet. And we saw a lot of people come at church and I wanna tell you, I loved Easter. I love seeing this room full of people. I love seeing all of our CEOs back in church, our Christmas, Easter and other major holiday attenders. I love those people, I'm glad that they were here. I'm glad, I, but here's the thing. A crowd doesn't impress me. What impresses me is a church that is always looking for the next lost person, that is always helping people take their next step. As much as I love hearing stories of full families getting saved and people raising their hand in churches, I'll tell you what gets Jesus going is people taking that next step. Salvation is the first step. Lordship of Jesus is the lifestyle. And he wants to see people take next steps into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He wants fully devoted followers of Christ. That is the Great Commission. But we have to take personal responsibility. And I love every one of you. But you know who I love just as much? The 100 families that aren't here yet. It's the people that aren't in the chairs next to you yet. It's your neighbors, it's your coworkers, it's those people. Our mission is to get them connected to the things of God. So here's the question, where are you today? Living in the past, settling in a rut, or are you moving forward? Are you living on mission? You learn that when it comes to drivers and people driving, that there's really two types of people that understand how to use 
the horn on their car. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, let's say you pull up to a stoplight. And if you live in Cabot, you're going to spend about a half of your life at a stoplight. But let's just say you pull up to a light that has a green arrow to help you turn, right? Like, I don't know, in front of Walmart, something like that. And you're further back in that line, and so it goes through the process a couple of times. But then you get up to the light, but you're the second car. And that light turns green, and you can tell by the angle of the head of the person in front of you that they are not looking at the light, they are looking at something else. Well, at that moment, you have a choice. Because you can Christian honk, honk, okay? This is what a Christian honk is like. Christian honk is multiple short, short bursts. Beep, beep, beep. Uh, followed by what you feel is an apologetic hand wave. It's fine. Bless your heart. And I think it's great. I think you should practice the Christian honk as often as you can. I will say it's not easy on every car. I don't know how it is for you, but the horn on my car it's not too sensitive. So I kind of have to push it a bit for it to honk. And most of the time, it doesn't sound polite. It always sounds aggressive, even though I'm not an aggressive person. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't want you to hear a Christian honk today. I want you to feel like the spirit of the living God just pulled up behind you with an 18-wheeler and laid in on an air horn for 15 seconds. If this is your first time visiting, I'm so glad that you're here. Yes, I'm always this intense. And we would love to have you back. But if you're a person in this church and you call yourself a Christ follower, you call yourself a fully devoted follower of Christ, it is time to move forward. God has put a spirit of a pioneer on you. It is time to see armies of bones turn into armies with flesh and power and anointing. It's time. It's time. And if you're here and you hear me, this is what I would encourage you. It's time to move or it's time to get out of the way because the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and violent men laid hold of it. And I'm interested in God getting all the glory and I'm interested in being used by him for him to get the glory. Amen. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. One step that you may have not taken. And maybe even the spirit of God has been revealing it to you while I've been talking. And that is a surrender to Jesus Christ, a surrender to his lordship. Because as I talked about those, those three different mindsets, it, the fact of the matter is you, 
You are dwelling in the past, but you're not even thinking about the fact that you could be set free from that past. And some of you, you're realizing, even as I've been talking, it's like, man, no, actually, I've been, been calling myself a Christian for a long time. But as you think about the mission of the kingdom of God, as you think about what it means to, to live on purpose for him, if there's nothing inside of you, if, if, if by his gentleness and kindness, the spirit of God is not bringing conviction to you, that it's time to move forward or that you've settled, you don't have any conviction of that. It may be because you've never actually surrendered to Jesus as Lord. And maybe today needs to be your day. Maybe today is the day of your salvation. And so if you're here and you know you're away from the Lord, whatever the context may be, like, no, I, I mean, I thought I was, but maybe I'm not. You just don't have peace. You don't have any kind of confidence that you're connected to your creator God, that he has a purpose, a call and a plan for your life, that there is the hope of heaven, but even more than that, there is life and life to the full that you haven't been living. And maybe you called on him as savior and you like the idea of him paying the price for your sin, but you never surrendered to him as Lord. And whatever the case may be, if you know that he's speaking to you and he's convicting you, respond and don't wait another second. If that's you and you're willing to just demonstrate, admit it's me, I, I'm disconnected from him. I don't have a relationship with him and I'm ready to. You've got Christians, you've got people that are praying for you all around you and you don't need to worry about anybody else. but I think it's important for you to be obedient, for you to demonstrate your willingness to be obedient and admitting that you need him. And if you're willing to do that, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Got it. Yes, sir. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Got you. Yes. Yes. Got you, bro. Respect that, man. Anyone else? It's in my weakness. His power is made perfect. Thank you. Got you there at the back. Pride is a poor substitute for the power of God. This is not a good time to be prideful. This is a good time to break through it and let his power take over. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Anyone else? I need him. I'm away from him. Thank you. Anyone else? Father God, thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness, you love us. Even though we've maybe felt a long ways away from you, you've always pursued us. And as every one of these people, just in their heart and, and even in obedience with raising their hand as they've said, I need you, 
And as soon as they've done that, they, they've turned and they've seen that you've been there all along. You've always loved them. You've always been calling them home. You've just been waiting on them. And if you raise your hand, I want you just to say a prayer, simple prayer, something like to say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. My sin separates me. But I believe that you came and died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave, defeating death and defeating my sin. And because of that, I can have the hope of heaven. I can live in freedom. I can be free from shame and guilt. I can have life and life to the full. And I thank you that in your timing, I'm gonna spend eternity with you in heaven. But I wanna see your kingdom come and your will be done now in my life as it is in heaven. I surrender to you. Come be the Lord. Be the pioneer and perfecter of my faith. Lead the way, Jesus. I'm right on your heels. Lord, I thank you for every person that said that prayer, but all of us need to say that prayer in part because it's easy for us to forget your Lordship. It's easy for us to try to grasp at our life a false sense of security and forget, no, it's, it's all for you. It's all yours. It's all yours. We just wanna be used by you. And I thank you for that. I thank you for it. My church family, I thank you for an amazing group of people that so many of them are answering that call. And God, for any of us that struggle, we've all struggled. Help us to come alongside of each other and encourage each other, remind each other of the truth. Let that truth be wrapped in grace and love. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.